Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. As part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I'm very fortunate to be interviewing Derek Kehoe. And Derek is the CEO and head of country for Ireland for BNP Paribas. Uh, Derek, welcome. Great to have you on the series. And perhaps would you tell us a little bit about um, current role, what you're doing, um, and also just a, a little snapshot of perhaps some of the roles you've, you've been doing since, uh, since leaving school, perhaps. Sure, yeah, with pleasure. And thank you for having me. Uh, so I uh, currently am, as you say, CEO and head of country for BNP Paribas Group in Ireland. And we have a, a diverse set of businesses in Ireland. We, we currently employ about 620 people. Our main business will be corporate and institutional banking. Uh, so catering for very large corporate clients and large institutional clients. And then all of the multinational clients, of which there are many in Ireland, obviously. Uh, we also have a fund administration business, uh, some insurance companies, and a real estate advisory business as well. So, so a, a substantial and, I would say, complex platform. Uh, I've been with BNP Paribas for 18 years. I was 18 years last week, actually, in BNP Paribas. Congratulations. Uh, but I've been uh, 33 years now in financial services for... for the better part of that 33 years, I, I was always on the capital market side. So my very first job when I came out of university, I'd actually trained as an economist in university, but I, I got a job in Standard Chartered Bank, which were, were in Ireland at the time, and they had a vacancy in the Treasury Department. And it was literally the week after the Black Monday crash uh, of 1987. And I said, wow, this was, it was all over the news. It looked so exciting. I said, I want to be in Treasury. And, uh, and, and I've been, you know, I was in that, those roles within uh, uh, global markets ever since. So foreign exchange, uh, fixed income, um, uh, you know, debt capital markets and, and, and sort of debt capital markets advisory. Uh, and then in 2015, uh, I had the opportunity to, to take over as, as head of country for Ireland, which is obviously a much more diverse role. Uh, no need per se for, for product specialism. You just need to know everything uh, and, and be on top of everything. Uh, and it gave, gave me a, a, the, the opportunity, obviously, to, to develop my leadership skills, um, be much more involved in terms of the governance uh, and the implementation of the strategy for the group in Ireland. So, so that's what I've been doing for just over five years now. Fantastic. And... and the reason that we're doing this is because people have said you know, they find you a very inspiring leader, which is lovely. Um, I, don't hear, like, I, don't, I don't like leaders coming on and go, Hey, Jonathan, I'm an inspiring leader. Have me on your series. <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Um, so it's, it's lovely what they, um, they do enjoy working for you, but think about who's inspired you to inspire others. Um, could you think of a couple of people who've inspired you and also Gener generically, what kind of qualities do you find in inspiring leaders, in yeah. your opinion? 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I you know, I, I don't have a single go-to inspiring leader. I mean, I, I there are lots of people um, present and past that I think are incredible, but but there are lots of people who are completely anonymous who have never uh, crossed anybody's radar screen that I personally find very inspiring because I've met them and. All of those people, from the greatest to the to the to the least, share certain characteristics, which you know: humility, uh, honesty, integrity, courage, uh, being true to self. I, I think, in in even the the most, uh, like I say, innocuous of of people who are performing a leadership role, which they may not even be aware they're performing. The key to them being inspiring is having those characteristics, in my view. Uh, honestly, if somebody said to me that I had those characteristics, then I would be done. Uh, but I think you know it's a process of continual learning and aspiration to to become your best self. Obviously, uh, but you know o- over the years I've had some some truly inspiring um, people that I have worked for who have been great leaders. And again, their their key characteristics, uh, apart from that, has been an ability to communicate. Um, to, to have a vision of where they want their business to go and be able to articulate that vision to people, uh, to be able to deliver messages, even negative messages, in a way which is constructive. And, and, and that's, that's really a difficult thing to do, clearly. Uh, so, yeah, and, and there are so many business leaders that, that, uh, that I admire that just keep going. And, you know, they, they're, they're not doing it to to get some sort of short-term buzz out of it. They're doing it because it is part of their DNA to give their best all the time. Yeah. So they're the characteristics as opposed to the individuals that I find very, very inspiring in leadership. No, I love it. It resonates very strongly yeah. for me. Yeah. And, and in the, the topic that you talked about then and we discussed earlier, this humility and to admit you don't know, um, because when you as the CEO admit that you don't know, it allows others to admit they don't know rather than bluff it. Yeah. Uh, and when they bluff it, then problems will follow. Yeah. Um, or someone more junior to go, I know, you're great. Bring it on. Let's, let's hear what you know. Um, and, and with it comes a, a vulnerability to learn from mistakes. I think, was it uh, learning, learning from life it is compulsory, uh, but... Um, so no, having life experiences, I think, is a compulsory, yeah. but learning from it is optional. And and if you were thinking about what you'd learn from the mistakes that you've made in the past or you make now, could you think of a particular story or a, a situation? Sure, yeah. Yeah, but where I, you got it wrong. Yeah. Well, I can think of many, many, many situations where I've got it wrong. I will continue to make mistakes because I'm only human. And and so will the people who work with me. The key is obviously to learn from those mistakes, uh, to, to take something from them, to fix the issue that caused the mistake, and to try and ensure that it doesn't happen again. So, you know, I, I'm really a big believer in a learning culture. I really, really am a big believer. I, I, I hate, and, and we've all worked in organizations where there's a blame culture. So, so then people begin to bury their mistakes. They don't admit to their mistakes. They pretend they know it all, and they don't know it all. Uh, so what you said, John, is absolutely correct. People need to be encouraged to hold their hand up and say, look, I'm not sure here. Can you help me? Uh, and then true leadership, I think, comes out. Um, from, from my personal perspective, 
certainly when I when I took over my current role, I think that uh, I went from being sort of one of the team to to being the leader of the team, and 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 it, you know the team was growing ever larger, and it's it, it has grown over the years. But for me, I, I felt. I feel, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, there was probably things that I knew should have been fixed a little bit quicker that, that I hoped would, would evolve as the organization evolved. Um, and, you know, they, they weren't right in the beginning. And by the time that we fixed them, they haven't been right for some time. And I, I should have just gone with my gut instinct and said, look, I know that there are problems here and I just need to make tough decisions and get this done. Uh, and I think probably, again, with the benefit of hindsight, and, and I'm a big believer in, in critical self-analysis as well, I'm constantly asking myself how I could have done it differently or better. And I, I think that's a healthy thing, being, being honest. Um, you know, maybe I just didn't, maybe I wanted people to like me too much as opposed to actually uh, going with what needed to be done. Or indeed, maybe uh, I just uh, didn't have enough confidence in seeing what was obviously in front of me. Uh, so, you know, but I think you learn those things as you go along. And, and my, so my key takeaway from that is, you know, as I said before, if, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Uh, so if something is not right, you're probably, I, I don't believe that you should just accept things or kick, can, kick the can down the road. I think it's incumbent upon everybody who's in a, leadership or a management position to fix the things that are broken, not leave them to the next guy. Yeah. And it's, that's where uh, be, behind me, the LQ over my shoulder uh, is about legacy and, yeah. and leaving a legacy where you, you leave things better than you found them. Yeah. And what you say resonates with a bit of advice I had from a leader years ago, which stuck in my mind. And, and he said, as CEO or in any role, uh, when you are in the organization, probably in those early days, you've been there a while, ask yourself, what is it I know now about this person who I'm having a problem with? What is it, what is it that I know now about them that I will find out in 12 months time, but I already know it? Yeah. And he said, in this particular case, I knew this person was devious and deceitful, mm. and I had to get rid of them before it blew up and it became yeah. a problem. He said, yeah. but I waited 12 months and then it blew up. Yeah, I, went, I knew yeah. that twelve months ago. Why did yeah. I wait? And, yeah. and so there's there's a, there's a balance about not rushing into things. Well, this is it. You're absolutely right. You know, but you can't no. just pull the trigger and ask questions later either. I mean, people deserve time to prove themselves. Mm. Um, and and you know, you'll always have this. You know, but but I think in my situation, I probably waited too long in the earlier days for certain situations to resolve themselves. Uh, and it's a fact that, that you know, uh, difficult conversations have to be faced head on. They yeah. can't be deferred. And, and bad news does not get better with age. Bad yeah. news does not get better with age. So you've got to admit it. Yeah, great, great advice. And then uh, I, I loved, I always love to hear amusing stories because leadership is a very serious business, but actually it's not. It needs to be a lot of fun too. But, but, Half the fun is stories when things didn't go well or just incredulous stories that become legend. And you have a great story. I'd love to please tell us. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to say, I, other people are going to have to tell the stories about my leadership uh, inadequacies. I, I, I have many, but I'm, I'm going to let other people tell those. My, my, I mean, as, as, I, as we, when we were chatting earlier on, John, I said to you, you know, 
like everybody else, I've had some amazing leaders and some amazingly bad leaders uh, over over a 34-year career. And I'll never forget, I mean, we were just just after the financial crisis, all hell had broken loose. Uh, banks were really in a kind of fight for survival mode, I would say. And we, we had a, a new boss came in, uh, very much an unknown quantity to us, but, but with a very, very strong reputation. And I, I had clients at the time that I was just I wasn't making any progress with, and uh, I you know I was frustrated. But he came in and he said, "So you speak to ABC?" And I said, "Yes." He said, "Who do you speak to there?" I said, "I speak to Tom," and he said, "I know Tom really well." He said, I, "Tom and I go back a long way. Uh, we've done some great business together. We've had some great times together." Get a meeting with him. We're going down to his office. We're going to sort this out. We're going to find out why he's not dealing with, with us. So I, I felt that this is basically, um, you know, uh, dead man walking for me, going down to this uh, client meeting. The client is going to say, Derek, is rubbish. Get him away from us. We don't want to talk to him. Uh, so I felt it was really, you know, this was almost like the last rites for me. So we go down. We go into the meeting room. We're waiting for Tom. Uh, my 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 leader at the time was, was saying to me, yeah, I can't remember these offices so well. And, you know, it's all coming back to me now. Just line after line, you know, that you couldn't make up. So Tom comes in and Tom comes straight up to me, shakes my hand, says, hi, Eric, good to see you again. Turns to my leader and says, hey, I'm Tom. I don't think we've ever met before. <laughs> line after line, lie after lie. So my immediate thought clearly was, I, he, he must have mistaken him for a different Tom. Uh, but there was no other Tom in that company, that's for sure. I knew that for sure. What, it, it then descended into complete farce because the individual never said anything for the entire meeting. Myself and Tom had a good chat, which you know, ironically resulted in us doing business going forward. Um, the, the, the man who, who knew everything said nothing for the entire meeting. In the cab on the way back, he left the meeting. I assumed he was going to say something like, ah, you know, you meant Tom Murphy. I was talking about Tom, you know, Delaney. But there was no mention of anything. What, what had happened was simply just erased from history. We drove all the way back to the office. We talked about football. We talked about American football. You name it. We talked about everything. But we did not talk about Tom or their fictitious relationship. And it never, ever came up in conversation again. The client never came up in conversation again. And I, I went back and, and speaking to my colleagues, we all said, how can this guy expect us to have any respect for him? Yeah. If he is so full of baloney. It was a surreal time anyway in financial markets. But we had some surreal people who's kind of passed through our various organizations. And I think that, you know, dur during the noughties, I suppose, uh, when we had this credit bubble, a lot of people made great names for themselves based on nothing except the value of the franchise that they represented. So they weren't adding any value themselves. They ended up leading huge teams because, uh, you know, maybe they were very good at managing upwards, but they weren't really very good. And as Warren Buffett once said, you know, when the tide goes out, you find out who's swimming naked. And, and that day I found out who was swimming naked. And thankfully it wasn't me. No, no, no. <laughs> so, 
but we were. I, I say that with great happiness, I must say. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, Derek. That I've come across a number of occasions in that kind of sector that you've been describing. Yeah, particularly at that period of time and since, less so now. More of them are getting about where there are some of the sort of Donald Trump type white collar psychopaths who believe their own story and will yeah. rewrite history to suit them and big themselves up and grab credit mm. where it's not due and try and grab clients and everything else from, from the people around them and not really care who they damage in the process, which I think is why we had so much of a problem with swaps and derivatives and things like that because people yeah. were just trying to make as much as they could yeah. and not, not concerning about the legacy and the, and the consequences. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it, it was probably emblematic of what was a, a, a generally toxic culture. I mean, I, I would have to say it, at, at BNP Paribas, we, we never suffered from the sort of, you know, most egregious excesses of, of, of that toxic masculinity was, was really what it was. And, and, you know, we've always pushed ourselves in terms of conduct. And, uh, but, you know, you always have outliers as well. So, mm. But they, they do get found out quite quickly, which is, which is good. And I honestly believe things have improved. You know, I don't believe that, that individuals like that would last five seconds these days. Uh, you know, because there has been an entire shift in terms of how organizations behave culturally uh, and how people behave towards, uh, towards their subordinates. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so from that, or indeed anything else, before we go into a story about your upbringing and uh, yeah. growing up in the southeast of Ireland, um, what would be your sort of top tip linked to that, a practical tip that people could take away that is a bit of wisdom? Uh, I think, honestly, I, I think, so, I mean, you know, leadership tips, communicate. You've got to be able to communicate with your people, even if the message is not a palatable one. I don't think you, you if you want the job as leader, or if you, you are in the position of being a leader, by definition, you, uh, you have to lead. Uh, and that means leading from the front, not leading from behind. You need to be there for your people. Uh, you need to, uh, I think, lead with respect. Respect is a big thing for me. It's, it's a big thing for our organization, uh, which, which you know, is, is why I suppose I love working there. But uh, Respect for everybody, you know, whether, whether you're dealing with the chairman of a global multinational or the graduate intern, you've got to treat people with respect. It's, uh, it reminds me that the, the, the quote from Muhammad Ali, he said, uh, you know, I never, if I'm in a restaurant, I never trust anybody who's rude to the waitstaff because I know if I, was, if I was in that position, they'd treat me the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that's really absolutely right. So, you know, treat people with respect, be, be true to yourself, you know, there is no situation ever, honestly, I genuinely believe this, that you could, that that's perfect, that you've done a perfect job. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have leaders clearly who tell us they're doing a perfect job all the time. <laughs> but you, you critical self-analysis, being true to self, respect, um, exemplary conduct, and, I, uh, and communication. Communicate yeah. with your teams at all times. Be transparent. Uh, they, they would be you know, my, my top four or five things that, I, that I've learned over the last five years that I think are absolutely key. And, and never more important than during this time of the global pandemic when yeah. everybody's working from home. Yeah. Um, what, what are the tips and uh, advice will you, have you learned that works well for you and the leaders you've got with you 
during this time of working from home in this very sorry, this unprecedented time yeah no it's it is it is uh you're right i mean we we've all learned to be more nimble than we ever thought we could possibly be i think over the last 10 or 11 weeks but it, it actually has i mean i think communication is key at any time crisis or no crisis what we have found invaluable for, for myself personally and for the people that i work with has been constant communication so it has there has been a big ask of everybody in management uh, in Ireland and, and elsewhere around the globe to be in constant communication with your teams when they're working remotely. And, and it's, it's not about checking up on people, Jonathan. It's about checking in. Are you okay? Is everything okay? You know, what are your concerns today? We have an amazing HR team uh, who have done an incredible job of, of, you know, identifying any individuals within the organization who may be, be vulnerable to feeling, you know, that, that they're being left behind. And, and the message has been, has been very clear all along. Nobody gets left behind in this. We're going to cross the finish line together, all of us. And that has come all the way from the group CEO of a company with, you know, almost 200,000 people, right down to the, to the smallest teams in, you know, smaller locations like Ireland. We're going to cross the finish line together. But telling people how we're getting along. So, you know, during the lockdown phase, where are we going? What are we doing? How many people are working remotely? Who's got the issues? To the beginning of the easing of the restrictions, how we get people back to work safely. Uh, because, you know, staff safety is the primary concern. So how can we get our staff back into a normal environment safely? How can we continue to protect our clients and how can we protect the bank? Yeah. And they're, they're the, cre uh, the three key things. I, I think the key lesson that we have learned is that even the largest of organizations, when given no uh, alternative, can be incredibly nimble. So yeah. sometimes maybe we make life difficult for ourselves by overthinking things. We got to a point where, I mean, in Ireland, we went from you know, virtually 0% work from home to 98% work from home within 48 hours. Wow. Uh, we, we accepted the fact that we had to run an elevated level of operational risk during that time. Uh, but, you know, again, touch wood, it, it's been okay. It's been okay. And, and people have behaved brilliantly. I mean, they have just outdone themselves because they recognize that, that the, the bank is doing everything it can to protect them. Uh, and, you know, I mean, our, our people have just been incredible uh, in terms of responding to that by doing the best they can to protect the bank. So it's, yeah. you know, it, it, it goes back to um, something I, I spoke about uh, recently in terms of, you know, is the relationship a symbiotic one between employer and employee? And you have to feel that it is. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, we, we have to look out for our teams, but, but there is a quid pro quo. Clearly, we, we expect them to do their best to ensure that the bank is protected at all times. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's lovely to hear. And, and great um, practical mm. points that resonate with the other leaders that I'm talking to. Good. Thank you for that. So let's go back in time to yes. uh, you as a, as, Way a, back. <laughs> as a young lad. Um, <laughs> Uh, tell me about your, your upbringing, uh, your parents, uh, any family, and, and how that shaped you and the leader you are, and 
some of the journeys and amusing moments or mm-hmm. moments that were, were hard. And yeah. what you learned yeah. about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly your upbringing shapes you in many ways that maybe you can't even identify yourself. But, you know, I, so I, I come from a very small town in, in, in the southeast of Ireland, in County Wexford, which, by the way, is the most beautiful county in Ireland. I know you'll say Donegal, but, but trust me, Wexford is... Uh, is is the most beautiful county in Ireland, but uh, so I, I you know a small town. My father was was the local doctor, uh, and my first observation, I suppose, in speaking about my father and my mother was they worked incredibly hard. My my father, you know, he, he obviously worked in in an analog age. There was no mobile phones. He covered a huge radius as as the local GP. Uh, and when I think back on it, he worked. 24 hours a day, seven days a week for probably 40 years. And it was just his way of life. Mm. He didn't, he never complained. There were certainly times when he probably survived on two or three hours of sleep because, you know, he'd get a phone call at 2 a.m. to say, oh, you know, Jimmy, uh, 20 miles from here has has got a stomach uh, pain. He would drive down there. He'd come back, get back to the house at about 4 a.m. And my mother would say, Oh, Frankie, who lives next door to Jimmy, uh, his wife has just gone into labor and he'd have to get in the car and go back. So, uh, you know, but we, growing up, we just accepted this as normality. When you look back now in 2020, 2020, you say, wow, those people worked incredibly hard. Uh, So hard work, absolutely a value that was instilled at a very, very early age. Uh, I'm I'm the youngest of seven children, very Irish, Catholic family. so it's funny, these days when, when I say to people, you know, I was the youngest of seven children, say, oh, you must have been really spoiled when you were growing up. I don't remember it like that. I remember that you know, as the youngest, you were the first person to get beaten up every time there was a problem <laughs> by your brothers or sisters. Uh, so uh, I guess you, um, you know, you get tougher die. <laughs> uh, and the, the town that we came from, um, and I still have family down there, and I, we still visit there regularly. It, 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 you know, it, it was not an, an affluent town in, in, again, in the 2020 sense. I mean, it's a small town, uh, farming community largely. Uh, but even though people were poor, and, and maybe, you know, not a huge amount of, say, people with third level education, in some cases, not even second level education, they're very, very smart and very, very clever and very, very innovative and hardworking people. And you can, you know, people like that are, are tough as teak, really. And you can learn a lot. You do learn a lot from them because they shape how you are as an individual. And I think, you know, my coming from a small country town, such as, uh, as my hometown of New Ross, I think you become a lot tougher and more, maybe more streetwise than people who live in, in more pri- privileged backgrounds. You know, we, we never wanted for anything when we were growing up because we didn't know what we were missing. <laughs> so it was great. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it teaches you to, to be tough. And, and also you recognize that the people who have nothing are not necessarily any worse off than people who have everything. Uh, and, and in actual fact, you know, that there are a lot of people who are very, very poor, but they have a dignity in their poverty uh, that people who amass wealth beyond the dreams of avarice will never have. Uh, and I think, again, when you come back to the fundamentals of leadership, uh, having having grown up in an environment where you know uh, money 
uh, or put it another way, where success is not defined by how much money you have, but how you carry yourself and how, how you feel in yourself mm. is a much, much more important metric for me. So I, I, think, I think, you know, that's, that's probably the, the key. I mean, it's, you, you learn a lot from being out, you know, I, I mean, you know, having worked in London and Dublin, been, been all over the financial centers of the world, it's, you know, they're literally a, a, a galaxies away from, from my small town of New Ross. But New Ross taught me how to survive, I think, in those cultures yeah. in a way that maybe others uh, would not understand. Mm. Uh, it's it's a it's a great story. What about what about amusing stories as you're growing up and and your highlights um, of your of your career thus yeah. far? What would you say the highlights and some of the the, the best uh, and the amusing stories? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, I I, I, I life was always good. I'd have to say when we were growing up. I mean, we we lived a kind. I mean, when I bring my daughters down to to my hometown, or we don't go down as much now as we used to, but. Uh, they they look at me like I'm sort of some kind of Tom Sawyer character. Like they can't understand how free and easy and uh, I would say unneurotic our existence was. You know, we were we were playing out in fields. We were swimming in the local local river. We were fishing in the local river, and life life for for you know say fifteen to twenty five year olds now is just completely different. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's very, very different. Uh, so it's it's always funny to to tell them stories about how we used to spend our summers when we were younger compared to how they spend their summers now. Uh, it, it, I suppose at a career level, what I mean, honestly, the highlight of my career, uh, without doubt, would be you know getting getting the job that I have now because. It's just well, I wouldn't have known at the time how much I would enjoy it. But in actual fact, when I when I when I was offered the job, I was terrified. I don't think I enjoyed the moment. Um, you know, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Yes, as in I've, I've succeeded, and then it was Christ, what am I going to do? Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I I I've been out of my comfort zone pretty much on a daily basis for the last five years, and I think that's a really you know. The, Again, looking back, I'm delighted that I have pushed myself to be outside of my comfort zone because having spent the previous almost 30 years in, in, in capital markets, um, I have to ask them, was I learning anything new? And I don't think I was. And I remember sitting outside a pub in London because I, I I'd worked in London for about four years before I came back to Dublin. And myself and, and a colleague who's, who's a good friend of mine we were sitting there and he, he said to me, he said, you know, we, we thought we were sort of on top of the world uh, as masters of the universe in, in the bond markets. He said, you know, 10 years ago, I was earning way more money than my friends who were all trained as accountants and everything. He said, now that they're all CFOs and CEOs, he said, we're learning nothing. And I remember thinking about that and, and I said to myself, he's absolutely right. And that's when I decided myself that I needed a career path that would actually teach me to evolve or help me to evolve. So getting this job was definitely the highlight. I hope it's not going to remain the highlight. I hope there will be other highs to come. Uh, but I think that, again, um, going out of your comfort zone, challenging yourself, taking on those things that, that you would rather not do but that you know will make you a better person, 
are are key. Uh, so yeah, by by far that's been the highlight. Great, and uh, th- those are some of the highlights and and uh, a lovely story of um, growing up in uh, in County Wexford. I mm-hmm. uh, I would have loved to have uh, been there. It sounded amazing. <laughs> Um, and then what about uh, during your, your life or your career, some of the, the, the darker moments and what, oh, you, yeah. what you learned from that, particularly your career and, and what advice you'd give to others having learned the hard way yourself? Yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, certainly from a career perspective, uh, you know, I, I went through a period be, before I joined BMP Paribas where... Uh, you know, you, you don't, at the time you're in it, you don't realize you're in a completely dysfunctional relationship with your, either your manager or your employer as a whole. And you work maybe as part of a dysfunctional team. Nothing works. Uh, and you, you have absolutely no way of fixing it. But you begin to believe, you know, it becomes almost like an abusive relationship where, one, you feel that you're the one who's at fault. Two, uh, the, the other party in the relationship constantly devalues you uh, one way or another, either by ignoring you or by never sending you any positive messages, or if you're doing something wrong, by not telling you what you need to do right. So it's very easy to be a leader who says nothing, right? Anybody can be a leader who says nothing and just completely ignores everything, um, as opposed to saying, okay, Jonathan, you know, I am not happy with your performance. Here are the five things I need you to do over the next three months. Realistic things, by the way. Um, and, and to help you then to try and unlock the cycle uh, of, of abuse, for, for, for want of a better word. Uh, and, you know, so that complete lack of communication and dysfunctionality, which, which can go on for a period of years, and you spend your time trying to convince the other person of your worth, whereas in actual fact, as with every relationship, there may just come a point where you realize, I am never going to be valued for who I am in this relationship, and therefore, I have to make a decision which I don't want to make, but it has to be done. There is, there is no other choice to make. So I, I'm, you know, I went through a period, I would say, where I was extremely unhappy uh, in my work, um, and and I probably I did bring that home with me. I brought it home with me. So, you know, uh, I, I wish I had been stronger at the time than to to bring it home. But but luckily, you know, I mean, my my wife and my my family are very very supportive. So we we got through it. And then I remember my father gave me a piece of advice, um, which was basically. You know what? Don't don't make any rash decisions. I was thinking of just chucking everything in. Basically, I was sick of it. He said, "You've got to be patient. Things will always change if you believe yourself. Uh, and and you can obviously you can you can um, push for that change yourself. There's things you have to do. But he said things will change. Uh, and he was right. With about certainly within the next year, uh, I had begun the conversation with BNP I then got the job at BAP Paraba, and it's been an amazing journey ever since. Mm. So, but you know, you, you do have those times in your career where you were in a relationship with, with your employer that is just simply not a healthy one. Uh, there may be faults on your side, there certainly falls on the other side. But I think when people consistently uh, undermine you, devalue you, do not ascribe a value to you that you know you have yourself, so long as you're not completely delusional. 
then you have to ask yourself, is there any point in continuing? Um, and I think, you know, in terms of sort of not ascribing too high of a value to yourself, it goes back to what we discussed earlier, which is critical self-analysis. I think you should always ask yourself, what can I do differently? Uh, and so long as you're honest with yourself um, and honest with, with, with what you believe the qualities you have are, then I, I think you'll come to the right answer. Yeah, that's great. And, and so the final couple of questions before we wrap up, and I've really enjoyed this, is um, some leadership tips, a couple of tips that you might have to share, practical tips that people can take away with them. And then what's you, you know, your own development as a leader? What are you going to be doing next in the, in the rest of your life to keep learning, growing yeah. and yeah. developing? So... What what are my tips? Uh, communication. I mean, you know, the, the one thing you have to do, I think, as a leader is communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, there's three things, but it's the same thing. Uh, respect for colleagues, very, very important. Um, uh, you know, you, 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 whether you're, like I say, speaking to the, to the CEO of a multinational or the, the graduate intern, always treat people with respect. Uh, I think if you... If you live by that uh, value, then, then you know it, it will come back to you. I, I firmly believe in that. Um, don't don't kick the can down the road. There there are going to be decisions that you you will have to make, and they're not going to get better with time. Um, you know, it's it's not like wine, unfortunately. Sometimes unpalatable decisions just have to be taken. Uh, there are times when you will have people who work with you who are underperforming. That problem can be fixed through communication, but there are times when it just can't be fixed. And, and that goes back into whether the relationship is a good one or not. But I think you've got to help your people to understand if you're not happy with the way they're doing something, you've got to explain to them what it is you want them to do. They, they may just have a completely wrong idea of what is expected of them. So if you don't have those conversations with them, how can they ever learn? Uh, and that, I, think, I think that's key. In, in, in an essence, it comes down to communication, really, Jonathan. I want to think about it. If you, are, if you are speaking to all of your stakeholders, and your stakeholders are your employees, your own management, uh, your regulator, uh, the society in which you operate, and if you're behaving with integrity, trying to do the best, and, and on an everyday basis, seeking to do the right thing, then honestly, I, I think that whether you realize it or not, uh, you will be setting a good example. Yeah, great, great advice. And, and finally, what about, what about yourself? What, do, what, what about are you about? Myself? I don't know. I, I, I do love my job. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm fortunate enough to work for an organization where, where there are multiple opportunities uh, that, that get thrown up on, on an ongoing basis. For now, I think there are still, there are still a number of things that I want to I complete in, in, in this role. Uh, but I, I would have to say, I, I want to keep going. I want to keep learning. Whatever it is I'm doing, I want to be able to learn and evolve and grow. And I would love to think that, you know, in, I, I, I I played golf with, with, a, with a guy on Sunday who is a, a hugely successful entrepreneur. Uh, and he's still working at the age of 80. Not, not you know, and your people say, oh, God, the poor guy. No, he, he works because it keeps him alive. I mean, and, and I would love to think that I would be like that, that I would still be meeting people, that I would still be learning from them, 
uh, and that I would still be evolving and active mentally and physically long into old age. I, 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 for me, uh, I, I really don't want a very, very long retirement. No. What would I do? Yeah, you know, I, certainly my wife doesn't want it. I can tell you that. Because, <laughs> so, but that, I mean, that's that's many years away. I, I hope. Um, but I, yeah, I, I would like to keep going, keep learning, keep evolving, and and hopefully keep meeting people who teach me, uh, you know, how to be a better person. I, I, honestly, that's 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 what it, what it's all about. Uh, and and success is not about the monetary value it's about you know are you happy in yourself right so continue to strive for success jonathan <laughs> well turkey thank you very much ceo island it's lovely talking to you i've really enjoyed the uh, the session and uh, stay in touch thanks a lot jonathan take care bye So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.